Welcome to the Fingers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Infante, also known as DJ Disappoint Your Parents, broadcasting from the Fingers Studio here in Charleston, South Carolina, where I'm getting motherfucking married. That's right, Fingers family. By the time you listen to this, your old pal Dave will be a married man. Well, technically, I'm already legally married, but we had to postpone the ceremony because of COVID, and eh, you don't give a shit. The point is, I'm getting married, and it's going to be great. In lieu of flowers, please send White Claw memes. Thank you. Today I'm going to be reading the most recent edition of Fingers, which was published on September 27th, 2021, under the headline, Big Beer's Disturbing, Deeply American Vision of Work and Leisure. We'll get to the stories in just a moment, but before we do, I'd like to quickly thank every one of you who bought a subscription over the course of the past uh, week or so. I'm so, so appreciative. Uh, Your support means the world to me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Fingers launched paid subscriptions last week, and we're already over halfway to our subscription goal, which is incredible. If you enjoy my work and would like to help sustain this booze letter, please hit fingers.substack.com now to buy a subscription. Annual subscriptions are 25% off until October 22nd, and that makes them just $60, which, if you do the math out, uh, makes it less than a Boilermaker uh, per month, a little shot in a beer per month. What a steal. I would never ask anyone to deprive themselves of a Boilermaker per month, but I'm hoping that you decide I'm worth it. I'd be ever so grateful if you did. Of course, free subscribers are always welcome, and for the next few weeks, they'll get the same privileges as paying readers of Fingers. So if you'd like to become a free subscriber first, check it out, sort of get the lay of the land before you pull the trigger, you can head to fingers.substack.com and enter your email address for a free subscription. That's fingers.substack.com. Decide if it's something that you want to pay for. And hey, follow its.fingers on Instagram too if you're feeling saucy. That's its.fingers on Instagram. It's free to follow and always will be. I'm posting daily original memes and coverage and content about drinking in America. It's lots of fun. Without further ado, let's get to the read. Big Beer's Disturbing, Deeply American Vision of Work and Leisure Recently it came to my attention that the toy company Fisher-Price makes a My Home Office 8-piece playset, which it says enables preschoolers ages 3 years and up to, quote, work from home or anywhere. It's $26.99, which is a small price to pay to introduce your toddler to the isolating despair, alienating ritual, and creeping pointlessness of the professional life that likely awaits them. A bajillion stories have been written over the past year and a half about how the coronavirus pandemic has changed the way Americans think about work. Having read a lot of those stories, not the whole bajillion, but more than I care to admit, I find myself encouraged that the tide might finally be starting to turn on this country's poisonous neoliberal veneration of incessant, unrewarded labor. I imagine a future where we collectively come together as a country and agree to do less work that we hate, and instead focus our time and freedom on cool shit that we love all built upon progressive programs like universal basic income and universal health care, funded by a tax code that redistributes this nation's vast wealth instead of consolidating it. It's invigorating to remind myself that better things are possible. 
But then I hear that a toy company is pitching pandemic-induced remote work as the next big thing in preschool entertainment, and I remember that Americans, myself included, have a long, hard journey ahead if we're ever going to disabuse ourselves of the notion that work is our highest purpose. The cultural dynamics and sociopolitics shaping modern American work are not my area of expertise, and I don't write much, not directly at least, about the scar across our collective soul which is how the late great anthropologist David Graeber, author of the essential book Bullshit Jobs, described the agony of lives spent performing unfulfilling, unnecessary labor to survive. But there are Fisher-Price playsets everywhere, if you know how to spot them. That includes modern beer promotion, which is something I very much do write about. This brings us, more or less, to tree work. Last week, Bush Light launched an experiential giveaway campaign that offers a few lucky winners the chance to live out a supposedly revolutionary fantasy. Working just like always, but outside. Treework, a cute reference to WeWork, the real estate company slash con that gentrified and mainstreamed the concept of co-working before mostly imploding, is basically a voluntary labor camp for knowledge workers that Bush Light has set up somewhere in the wilderness of Colorado's Moffat County. Contestants can enter to win a really remote workday at the camp from October 4th to 8th, where they'll have access to Wi-Fi, grills, fire pits, and obviously, bush light. Here's how the brand's press release describes TreeWorks' purpose. Quote, We want your work to grow, blossom, and branch out. And what better way than taking it outside? Close quote. The release cites research commissioned by Lenovo that indicates that a half an hour outside can make workers feel better and increase their productivity by up to 45%. Maybe so, but you know what's healthier, more conducive to growth and blossoming, and just more fun than working outside? Not working outside. Or at all. Bushlight could just as easily offer winners a sweet camping trip to Colorado. Why frame this promotion around labor? This is not the first time Anheuser-Busch InBev has built a promo campaign around a work-related dream job that gets grimmer upon scrutiny. As I've written before, the world's biggest beer company is an incredibly sophisticated marketing machine, and in recent years it has repeatedly returned to the dream job well to earn headlines and buzz for its U.S. beer brands, of which Bush Light is one. Bud Light Seltzer ran a Potemkin talent search for a chief meme officer, in which one lucky winner would get the opportunity to pump out social content for the brand for entry-level pay and no health insurance. Before that, Michelob Ultra and Devil's Backbone ran similar, and similarly publicized, hiring hunts for chief exploration officer and a chief hiking officer, respectively. Those campaigns, like Bush Light's tree work, cheerfully elided the fact that 75% of American workers can't work from home and that ABI's Political Action Committee had donated $131,000 to re-elect lawmakers with dogshit environmental voting records during the 2019-2020 election cycle alone. I'll pause here with a quick editor's note. Uh, Fingers originally reported on both those campaigns and others like it. I spent a lot of time uh, pulling the campaign contributions from the Federal Election Committee's web portal and assembling it and doing that research to pull those figures together. So if you value independent drinks journalism like that and want to support it, I hope you'll consider purchasing a subscription today at fingers.substack.com. Okay, moving on. For what it's worth, Anheuser-Busch InBev is hardly the only firm running the dream job marketing playbook these days. 
and it's not even the only macrobrewer making political donations at odds with its brand's promotions. And the company's apparent success with this gambit, because rest assured they would not continue it if it wasn't working, reveals nothing that those bajillion think pieces haven't already at least gestured at. Namely, that most jobs suck so much, people fantasize about simply having jobs that suck less, rather than, you know, not needing a job in the first place. But considering beers like Bush Light were once positioned as affordable weeknight leisure for the country's working class, TreeWorks' rustic vision of an everywhere, always-on, lager-lubricated American labor pool is all the more disturbing. As bleak as it may be, the campaign is also instructive. Bushlight's tree work is centered around novel, slightly improved versions of white-collar labor for the same reason Fisher-Price makes colorful fake laptops to mimic remote work. Under the prevailing paradigm, work is a moral good, or at least an inescapable reality. When you suffer from chronic pain that medical science cannot heal, doctors focus instead on managing your symptoms. When you ache from the seemingly inevitable collective scar of modern work, brands offer you a prettier place to answer your emails. Better things are possible, including better work styles and jobs that actually do allow us to, quote, grow and blossom and branch out. But that'll require a lasting sea change in the way we think about and organize around work. Taking your Zoom calls from the mountains of northwestern Colorado? That's just a temporary change of scenery. The football coach who bought fans $14,000 worth of free beer. The highest paid employee in 28 U.S. states is either a college basketball coach or a college football coach. Is that good? (laughs) Generally speaking, reader, it is not. For example, in South Carolina, where Fingers HQ is located, Clemson's head football coach is two years into a decade-long deal that makes him over $9 million a year. It's a grotesque misallocation of resources in this cash-strapped state, made all the more insulting by the fact that the coach, whose real, actual name, like in life, is Dabo Swinney, has spoken out against the NCAA allowing college players to make money off their talents and prominence while still in school. Very cool, Dabo. Bruce Barney Barnum does not make Dabo Swinney levels of loot, but he's still pulling down around $200,000 a year from Oregon's Portland State University. And lately, he's been throwing that cash around a little bit. Barnum, apparently vexed by attendance his PSU Vikings have been drawing this season, went on a local sports show a couple weekends back and made an open-ended promise. Come to the game, mention the show to the bartender at Barney's Beer Garden, and Barnum himself would buy you a beer. Per Joel Odom at Oregon Live, quote, when asked how many beers he would buy, Barnum told Kenzano, all of them, close quote. And you can probably guess what happened next. Barnum's free beer gambit turned out enough drinkers to plow through 2,064 beers at his namesake beer garden before PSU's September 19th game for which the coach ponied up $14,448. Then he tweeted the receipt, generating a bunch of adulating headlines and retweets from people dazzled by how hashtag epic he was, or whatever. Having covered the college athletics business a bit, I tend to be pretty cynical about this sort of stunt. 
And having covered the beer business a lot, I was fascinated by the fact that, according to Barney's receipt, PSU fans clearly preferred Coors Light to Deschutes' fresh-squeezed IPA, even though the cost was no object because Barnum was covering the bill. So I hit up Finger's chief Oregon correspondent Jason Noddy, a one-time beer reporter who now writes for Adweek, to get a local's perspective. He lives in Hillsboro, Oregon, a city west of Portland where PSU plays these days. Here are some choice Naughty quotes about PSU, Barnum, and the beer from our DM conversation. Naughty told me he was stunned by that Deschutes figure. People were offered Coors Light and Fresh Squeeze at the same price, free, and still chose Coors Light by nearly 2 to 1 margin, he said. I asked him about why PSU plays in Hillsboro, and he told me that this is a football team that got kicked out of its downtown stadium by soccer because it had lousy attendance, and now plays out by my farm in an attempt to justify its existence. The administration doesn't give a damn about making them better. Students don't acknowledge their existence. So they come about 20 miles out of their way to play Big Sky Conference teams best known for their Pac-12 payday games at the beginning of every season. Close quote. Ouch. Brutal. Nadia also told me, quote, Barnum is likable. What remains of the PSU fan base generally loves him, even though his team is basically made of glass. Close quote. For his part, Barnum seems pretty delighted by the whole situation, even though it cost him almost the same amount of money that a full-time worker making federal minimum wage would earn in an entire year. Not to mention it wasn't exactly a box office smash. PSU still drew a smaller crowd than the capacity of the single-A baseball stadium next door, despite literally giving out free beer. That's something that Naughty pointed out in a tweet that caught my eye. Here's how the coach explained how this came to be in an interview after the incident went viral. Quote, I was thinking Shawshank Redemption, drinking five beers out of the bucket on the roof, everybody's happy. Then all of a sudden it turned into what it did. The president, AD, everybody afterward, they thought it was the greatest promotion they'd ever seen from the university. And I was just talking out of my ass to sports writer John Canzano on the radio. Despite my skepticism, I must admit that Barnum seems kind of great. Maybe that's what happens when you pay coaches six figures instead of seven. As far as I can tell, Dabo Swinney never bought $14,448 worth of beer for anybody. And now it's time for The Bottom Shelf. Welcome to The Bottom Shelf, a roundup of headlines from across the beverage landscape that caught your fearless fingers editor's eye last week. Here we go. Is hard seltzer killing the classic college kegger? Maybe. This one's new from me at Vine Pair. It's a uh, feature about what everyone's favorite flavored malt beverage is doing to the venerable campus tradition of keg parties. I won't spoil the story for you, but I will say that I was shocked by the number of college drinkers I spoke with who claimed they'd never seen a keg, period. Kids these days. A community over the barrel. Friend of Fingers, fellow newsletter operator and food journalist par excellence, has a new story about a dog-friendly Charleston beer bar that proved itself to be very unfriendly to its neighbors. It's a great piece and one that speaks to a bigger debate about who typically gets to decide how southern cities grow and change and for what reasons. The Bartender Who Quit Cocktails to Become a Mortician. If that headline doesn't make you click, I don't think anything I can say here will, but I enjoyed the hell out of this piece from Grub Street's Chris Crowley. Check it out. Out of character. Can lager masquerade with an IPA brand? 
Here's Beer Cruncher's Doug Velicki with a smart, fun little piece of analysis on whether New Belgium's Voodoo Ranger line, which is the country's best-selling IPA family, has room for a new lager extension. Semi-relatedly, Velicki has also leaned heavily into beer-themed TikToks these days, so if you're into that sort of thing, you can follow at BeerFiciannato on TikTok or on Twitter, where he posts a lot of them, at BeerFiciannato. He's pretty good. Okay, okay, okay. That was the newsletter from September 27th, 2021, titled Big Beer's Disturbing, Deeply American Vision of Work and Leisure. This has been another bonus edition of the Fingers podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please let me know by leaving a comment on fingers.substack.com or you can email me at dave at dinfante.com. Please follow its.fingers on Instagram. That's its.fingers on Instagram. And last but not least, thanks again to all the friends of Fingers who have stepped up to purchase subscriptions to support this project. It really does mean the world to me. And if you haven't bought one yet but want to, by all means, please do at, you guessed it, fingers.substack.com. All right, signing off from Fingers HQ, it's your fearless Fingers editor, Dave Infante, reminding you, I'm getting married this weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>